When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Edmonton Oilers' season may be over, but the talk at Rogers Place, the team's downtown arena, stayed alive this week. Head coach Todd McClellan, general manager Peter Shirelli, and chief executive officer Bob Nicholson all took to the podium on different days to address media and answer questions. In the aftermath, though, questions linger, particularly around the coaching staff. McClellan and his assistants weren't declared safe in their jobs. Not that anyone thought they were given the orders finished well back of the NHL playoff pack this year after last year's promising campaign. And Shirelli's job isn't looking to get much easier this offseason. The orders are staring at a salary cap crunch unless he can somehow unload unwanted salaries. And the team still sorely needs a quarterback of a defenseman, whether he comes via trade or somehow rises from within. Oscar Kleffbaum looked like he could be that player last season, before struggling mightily this year while enduring a shoulder injury. I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to Oilers beat writers Jim Matheson and Robert Tichkowski about the Oilers situation, plus get their thoughts on the NHL playoffs, which started this week, and on the retirement of longtime NHL head coach Ken Hitchcock, who hails from Edmonton. This is the Oil Spills podcast for April 13th, 2018. So out of all those news conferences this week, the one big question is Tom McClellan and his staff. Will he stay? Will he go? Will the assistants stay? Will they go? What's going to happen here? I think Todd will be back as the coach because the, the general manager, Peter Shirelli, is pretty loyal to his coaches. He didn't fire Claude Julian in Boston when everybody was counting on 
Claude getting fired after a couple of years after they won the cup. And he, Peter ended up getting fired, and they kept Julian, and then they re- replaced Julian later. I think he's pretty loyal to coaches. Um, it's kind of it's the same situation here as it is in Calgary with Glenn Gullitson. He didn't get a vote of confidence from his general manager either at the end of the year. Peter, you know, Brad Treleving. It's you know we're, we'll think about it. We'll see what's going on. So it's the same situation. But I think the head coach will be back, and as we've been saying a lot, some of those assistant coaches will not. But does Tom McClellan want to stay here if his assistants are gone? Is he that kind of a that kind of a guy? Well, if you give a coach, a head coach, a choice between letting one of his assistants go or letting both guys go, I suspect the head coach stays and yeah. says, "I'm sorry, I, you're my friend, but but I still remember the the old Harry Neal, Roger Nielsen story where the owner wanted to fire Roger Nielsen and Harry Neal was Roger's good friend, and he said, "I don't want to do that." Two month, two weeks later, Arthur Griffiths came back and says, "You got to fire Roger Nielsen." We're not winning any games. Harry says, I don't want to do that. He says, well, are we going to fire one guy or are we going to fire two guys? So we phoned up Roger Nielsen and said, sorry, but i got to stay and uh, I'll look for a different coach. Yeah, I think, I mean, on merit, if there's anybody who should be closer to the firing line, it's probably Shirelli based on his track record here. And, and if, they're, if they're saying, you know, in the interest of continuity and, and not having this constant upheaval, we're going to keep him and, and give him another year at it, then the same. Uh, criteria should should apply to McClellan. So uh, based on that, I think you know they they'll want to keep him. I think a lot of this is just a production to make it look like you know we're doing this intense internal audit and evaluation. When in reality, I think the decisions have been made quite some time ago. I mean, the team has been you know missed the playoffs by twenty five points. They've been out of it for a couple of months already. If they're just starting to evaluate things now, that's that's poor. Uh, yeah, I doubt that's happening. Right. Yeah. So I think a lot of this is just you know putting on a little bit of a show just to say, you know, we're really taking a close look at this, and ultimately it's what everybody has thought all along. It'll be uh, Peter and Todd back, and they'll sacrifice uh, an assistant coach or two because there has to be some sort of change. If they just shrug and say status quo, it's not going to go over well, and there should be some change. Like there were some very glaring weaknesses in this team that have to be fixed with, with better people. Where do you find assistant coaches? I mean, McClellan brought Jay Woodcroft and Jim Johnson along with him from San Jose. You know, they were his longtime assistants there. You usually hire them from junior hockey. Or the, who They go junior hockey, coach somebody's farm team, um, as Todd McClellan did. I think he was coaching Houston. He was coaching Minnesota's farm team. He got hired in Detroit to be Mike Babcocks. And Bill Peters was, was in the American League, and he got hired in Detroit as well. So it's usually the route it goes. I think last year the owners missed – they should have hired Chris Knobloch somewhere in the organization as Connor McDavid's coach. Um, he'd won 50 games for three or four years in a row there and was in the Memorial Cup, and they let him get away, and Philadelphia hired him as an assistant coach. So uh, I'll buy it. It was tough to change maybe coaching staff last year considering they had 103 points and got within one game of the Western Final, but they let a really good young coach go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just based on track record. It should be easier to pick up a good coach than it is to to gamble on an 18-year-old player. You you know, look at the guy, you look at what he's done, you look at his special teams, and, okay, it's working for him. Uh, let's give him a look up here. I mean, to a large extent, everybody's just copying what everybody else does in the NHL anyway. You just look at somebody's film who has successful power play, and, okay, okay, let's do that, you know, if you have similar personnel. So, I mean, it isn't rocket science. You just you get people in and get it done. And I think to a large extent, you know the power play was on the players they they, they needed to be better uh but to some extent you have to make some change and uh that's that's where the the axe is going to fall 
It usually falls on the people looking after the special teams. Right. That's the easiest thing to look at. It's very statistical. Your team is ranked, you know, 25 to 31 on one of those two things, and they're looking at that coach and say, how come we're not better? Right. happened last year in St. in Chicago with Mike Kitchen, who was a longtime friend and coach with Joel Quenville, and their penalty killing was poor for two straight years, and the general manager said, i got to replace something, so I, he replaced that assistant coach. Well, it's not like the coach is telling everybody to pass it around the outside of the zone 16 times before you take a shot. Like They specifically say in meetings, shoot more, and then the first time they get on the power play, they just pass it around the perimeter until there's you know a minute and 10 seconds of the penalty have been shoot ups. You know, they're missing a hard, accurate shot from the point. That's what all good power plays have. And, and until they get that, it's going to struggle. And we'll talk about the defense in a second here because, you know, the quest for that right shot. Defensemen, of course, they've been seeking that for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll get to that. Still on the coaching, though. I mean, we have had some movements here, uh, you know, just before the playoffs started. And, and today, you know, the Rangers let go Alan Vigneault and some of his staff. Uh, Ken Hitchcock retired today as the head coach of the Dallas Stars. So there are a couple of vacancies there. And there are question marks. I mean, like you just, just said, Maddie, uh, with the Flames are, there's no vote of confidence for Glenn Gullison. You know, Ottawa, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, Bill Peters there. Bill Peters will be in Dallas tomorrow if, if Carolina doesn't want him because he was the assistant coach when Jim Neal was the assistant general manager in Detroit. Yeah. I think he'd be coaching Dallas. He's a good coach. Bill I mean, Peters. I guess the point, what I'm trying to say is, you know, are the owners waiting maybe to see who might pop up? I mean, Dave Tippett's still out there too. There are some good candidates to coach this team if indeed, for some reason, Todd McClellan isn't back. There's no coaches better than Todd McClellan out there, I don't think. I mean, I don't, I don't see it. He's won 425 games in the NHL. I don't see if Joel Quenville had come available, yes. Maybe if Barry Trotz doesn't get a new contract in Washington, he's won more games. But that's the only two I can think of. I mean, Todd's a good coach. I think, you know, you got to look at it. Last year they got 103 points, and everybody thought he was a great coach. This year they get, you know, 78, and he's a terrible coach. So somewhere in between is what the coach is. And, and I don't think coaching is necessarily the problem with the orders. I think, I think he is a good coach. I think they just need... Um, some better players, I would say, and that falls on the general manager. He puts the team together. The coach coaches the players he's got. Yeah. Simply put, yeah, the, the, they need better players. They're just they're, they thin the team over the summer, uh, over the past couple of summers, and uh, you know it's until they get you know they need that they need better wingers. They need a they need a, a guy on defense to quarterback the power play. A lot of the guys they did have were injured and, and didn't play well, so you kind of wait on that for a stretch. But yeah, I don't think this—I don't think the others lost because they were poorly coached. I think McClellan was just playing catch up all season long because everywhere he turned, there was problems in that area of the roster. Whether it was on the wing, whether it was on defense, whether it was in goal—you know, their centers were all right, but that's only because that's the only strength of this team. So, you know, to, to put it on McClellan's plate, you know, I, I, I think that would be a cop out. So beyond the co- coaching questions that came out of our news conferences this week, what else did you learn from the Mia Culpas from McClellan, Shirelli, and Bob Nicholson? Well, I learned that they will trade the first-round draft yeah. choice if it's not in the top three. You know, if they don't win any of those three lotteries, you know, they're, if they're picking ninth, and 
or they could even fall to 12 if all the teams behind them win those three lottery spots. They could drop three spots. So trading a ninth overall pick for a good player is, sounds good to me. I mean, you have to wait too long for these these draft picks, even first-rounders, to make your team unless it's the first player picked in the draft and it's Connor McDavid. So that's a, I think that's a distinct possibility to get either a, a defenseman or a winger, trade a trade a, a first round draft choice. That was about the only news that came out of it. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, I mean, sure and up. that Nugent Hopkins is not getting R- traded. Right. Yeah. Which I don't. I, I couldn't imagine that he would have after the way the last two trades went with with Hall and Everly. But Shirelli's very good when he goes to the podium of kind of managing how the uh, how the availability takes place. Like he'll have these one man filibusters, right? Where he'll you'll ask a question, he'll go on for three and a half minutes and then you'll ask another question and he can by doing that he kind of limits I think there was only 14 questions in in 35 minutes of of interview so he can did a good job of controlling it and and just keeping keeping things at bay and and, you know wasn't a lot of time for follow-up questions and stuff so he he managed it very well didn't say a whole bunch other than you know the first pick could be in play and Nugent Hopkins won't be in play but everything else was kind of to be expected I thought there would be a vote of confidence for the coach at this point I'm, I'm not sure why they didn't if they do feel he's the guy why they would let this thing twist a little bit I mean all they had to say was yeah our head coach is coming back but Todd will have to decide if he's going to bring all the assistants back that's all he had to say they're his assistants um, and that would have been enough you know and everybody would have said yeah okay fine good you know they would have cut couple of layers out one the Shirelli's back and two of the McClellan's back and just say okay it's on the assistant so but our head coach is coming back I don't know why they didn't do it either it's kind of kind of silly what nagging questions did you not get to ask Shirelli you asked about Paul Coffey uh, with Bob Nicholson not that he was going to address that necessarily or maybe he was Maddie, uh, well, I, we didn't get a chance to ask about Paul Coffey to it's a Shirelli, Shirelli because yeah. they kind of ran out of time you know that's another, you know that's another you know you know another situation with coffee you know Paul hired you know during the season as a skills coach and he was here for a, a bit to help with practices and stuff but then he kept going back and forth to Toronto so um, is he back again as a full-time coach is he a skills coach is he coming back at all I I don't know I, I would just want to know what it, what the plan is. Like they're with with McDavid sitting there at, at twelve million, and he and Drysaddle are at twenty, and their top five guys on the roster are forty million dollars, and two of them are Lucic and Sekera. There's not a lot of money to bring in uh, outside uh, free agent help. There's nobody coming up the pipeline. There's not a lot of options uh, trading if because if you you know if you trade a Nuge or a Clefbaum, you're just going to have to replace them. Uh, later anyway. So what is the plan to turn this team around? Is it to just hope? That everybody who took a step back last year will take a step forward this year, or you know, what is what is you know when they're sitting back in that room, how do they see this team hitting the ice next season? Is it going to be largely the same with their fingers crossed, or are there going to be significant changes? And how do they get those significant changes when they're up against the cap and they don't have a lot of talent coming up the pipeline that's ready to go right now, and there's not a lot uh, that they can trade to bring in assets? So that's yeah, I think there are 14 players at 60 million. I think it's 14 yeah. players at 60. And the cap has gone up. It's you know it's closer to eighty now than than it was to seventy. So there is you know another twenty million dollars in there. But they have to they have to sign Darnell Nurse, and I I presume they'll just give him a bridge contract. Mm-hmm. They can't afford a six million dollar player. No. Um, 
and they have to sign Strom. I presume they'll want him back. And, you know, they got Benning, they have to sign Kajula. Those are all, like, million-dollar deals. But they still add up to, you know, another $10 million or something. So suddenly you're at 70. And you need that backup goalie. Yeah, and ba- 70 million, and you, ha- you haven't gone out and got a, a winger yet. Uh, or two, and two. Cam Talbot isn't signed beyond this year. So yeah, you're so gonna... yeah, it's it's way more difficult. I'm, I guess they're counting on the younger players to be better this year, Kajula and Benning, and and you know I, I don't know even know if Slepeshev will be back. I, I I think they'll qualify him to keep his rights and then trade him. Yeah, I you know rather let him just walk, you know walk away. Um, so yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't see a whole lot of uh, pieces in there. I mean, the, the only piece he had really to move was Nugent Hopkins. And Nugent Hopkins played so well this year now, and he looks like a left winger with McDavid. They're not trading him. That's the one piece they had, I think, to get, you know, uh, either top-end offensive defenseman or certainly a high-end uh, winger. So, But as gun-shy as maybe... You know the fans or Shirelli might want to be. The jury's out for some people still on the Hall trade. I would you know argue that most people say it's about was a bad trade. You know, and trading away. Uh, you know, even the the Reinhardt trades he hasn't hit a home run yet. No. But in order to make that kind of a splash, you're going to have to make another trade involving somebody of significance. I mean, if you're going to want to make an upgrade on defense, you have to think. Probably will involve at least Oscar Clefbaum, if not somebody else. He's got to trade a left side defenseman. He's got too many lefts and not enough rights. He's got to trade a left. I don't think he really wants to trade Clefbaum too badly because I think they consider him a a good player for the salary he's making and and his age. I think you know with Secker's five and a half million dollars, I think that's that's problematic for Mm -hmm. sure uh, at his age. And if he can't play in your top four. You can't have him in your bottom pairing and making five and a half million dollars. And really, you can't have Chris Russell and Sekra in your third pairing at nine and a half million dollars for two defensemen. If you say keep Clefbaum and Larson as a pair, and you find another defenseman to play with Nurse, a right, right shot guy, you know that would be your second pairing, I presume, yeah. not not Sekra and and, uh, and Russell. So yeah, Clefbaum's got a got a good contract going forward. Like if he goes back to the form that he had last year and maybe takes a bit of a step. No, he had you know he's playing with a shoulder that needed surgery, so you got to give him a bit of a break there. So if he gets back to who he was last year and maybe takes a little step forward, like four million bucks is you know is is a good deal on a, on that type of a player. And so, so is and so is Larson as a second pairing four million. I mean right. every player who plays lots of minutes. And it doesn't put up 50 points, makes $4 million in today's NHL, and that's a good contract. And he's yeah. got years left on his, too, and he's the same age. So that those they're good value for the dollar. So they did well there, but um, that's a lot of money for the two centers, you know, three centers, really, if Nugent Hopkins is, yeah. in, you know, your three best players are making $27 million. You know, that's an uh, awful lot of money. It's still, I mean, I, moving forward, of course, Nugent Hopkins has to be seen as the winger. And six get, six and you million want, dollar winger, though. Sure. But a, a player of quality that's going to play with on McDavid's wing is going to make that kind of money anyway, no matter if you're right. bringing somebody else in. You already have him. I would, you know, I would assume that that's the, well, that's obviously the thought of Peter Shirelli because he basically said we're not trading the guy. 
I mean, even if they think that, that Milan Lucic can bounce back and he is the second line left winger then, if Nugent, Nugent Hopkins is the first, okay, so they have, and he does bounce back. Say he bounces back to way where he's scoring 20 and getting, you know, 45 to 50 points, okay. They still don't have the right wingers. I mean, Pugliarvi's not proven yet that he's a top six winger. Even if he is a second line right winger, they don't have a first line right winger. And mm-hmm. where are they getting one of those? I, mean, I think the, the wingers they're going to find are going to be stopgap, one year, two year max, whether you're going to get Thomas Fanek or M- Michael Grabner or somebody like that, who they're NHL players for sure, but they're not. We're not talking James Van Riemsdyk or James Neal here. Who's no? When when you're high end when the top agents. of your when the top of your salary is that top heavy, you have to have a lot of guys making a million dollars, million and a half, playing above their salary structure. And those <laughs> those guys are tough to get. Normally, they come from within. They're your own guys, and and they they make less money because they're on entry level deals, and they're they're playing. You know, they're about to break through, and you know those guys right now are Slepeshev, Kajula, and you know guys who haven't been getting it done so far so you know you either hope they turn it around or try and find somebody else who's making you know million million and a half that can suddenly play top six minutes good luck with that yeah i'll go back to what i was saying before but shirley's going to do something this summer there's there's going to be some kind of a relatively significant trade because if he doesn't and he goes into the next season and things don't start off well i mean then i would imagine that's Putting your head in the chopping block. If Oscar Kleffbaum does yeah. not bounce back from his shoulder issue, which he had surgery on, and that was apparently hampering him this year, I mean it's it's a it's a roll of the dice. Do you try to? I mean, it would be probably hard to move him anyway, or Darnell Nurse for that matter. I think the easiest thing with for the fan base would be to trade the first round draft choice right. because people are know that those players. You, take two, three years before they're playing on your team. Yeah. And, they, and I don't think the fan wants to wait two or three years. I think they would much rather get have players for now with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl here that are good good right now. And uh, trading the first-round draft choice is easily done if you're picking ninth. Yeah. I mean, that's not the end of the world. They could put a package together, that first-round pick and Clef Bomb and maybe one of the forwards. You could you could make you know a splashy deal, but they're also one bad move away from this thing taking a catastrophic turn where, you, where you're in big, big trouble for five, six, seven years if you make the wrong move, right? Another Taylor Hall screw-up, and you're, you know, you're in big trouble because after that the cupboard gets very bare. So, I mean... There is a move to be made, but you're going to have to be careful. It has to be the right one because the wrong one is going to, you know, hurt the team, probably cost them his job, probably cost everybody their jobs. So, you know, tread lightly. But, yeah, you're right. Something, you know, could be done. It is there. Maybe should be done. But it's uh, pulling the trigger on that one. You have to be positive. Yeah, because I know, Maddie, you often bring up Oliver ekman Larson from Arizona as being probably the one that makes the most sense for the owners to try to target in terms of salary and age and, but you and what he to brings give, to the table. You'd have to give up your first-round draft yep. choice and another young defenseman, whether sure. that's Clefbaum or Nurse. Yep. I would suspect to get ekman Larson. So I I would do that. You know, I, I, I think their need for an offensive defenseman is so great that while Nurse and Clefbaum are really good players, you know, I... I don't think you can have the best player in the world and not have an offensive defenseman right. who can, you know, in 
you know, Tyson Berry isn't even at the top of the ladder, and he's still a 57-point defenseman because he plays with Nathan McKinnon. So if, and he's not, he's a B offensive defenseman. You know, Chris Letang too. Like on their own, they're not spectacular, but you put them you with put them with some really good players, and all of a sudden they're getting lots of points, and they need. Their power play is not good, so you need somebody to play the point in a power play and somebody to get the puck up the ice who can pass the puck so Connor McDavid doesn't have to come back to the face-off dots to get the puck. Because the Oilers, there's no way, logically, there's no combination of uh, salaries shed that you could uh, somehow come up with and try to trade for Eric Carlson, is there? I mean, you're talking about having to send Leon Dreisaitl to Ottawa if that's what they want. Yeah. That's a ten. That's a ten million dollar player. Sure the others aren't picking up a ten million dollar no, player. No, then your top six are making fifty million. They only playing with the, the same starting six. Got to play the whole game right. or what? It's NBA that would work. <laughs> yeah, <I'm not. laughs> well, they better hope Dylan Simpson turns into this guy pretty quick uh, here. Or I don't know. They have some guys who maybe you know Ethan Bear in a couple of years will be fine. I'm not sure about Yamamoto. Uh, you know, three or four years from now, maybe you know the Caleb Joneses and Safin, all, all those guys they have down there, but. In the immediate future, you know, those guys are, if you do it properly, they spend a full season in the American Hockey League and then see what you've got once they're, you know, men. But, you know, right now it's nothing internally I think, I don't think is going to do them much help. Now, you know, I'm going to scout around the building for a big bag of money, but put up your hand if you want to go cover McDavid at the World Championships. Were they Denmark? Yeah, I'd, go, De- to De- Copenhagen. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd go to Denmark. Just yeah, say, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm taking bids. Um, yeah. and my car needs to be washed and stuff. Anyway, well, you know, we got the news yesterday that McDavid is indeed going to be on the World Championship roster. I don't think it was that much of a surprise, obviously. Um, also, we've got Nugent Hopkins going, as well as Don- Darnell Nurse. Uh, and, you know, former order Jordan Everly as well. Uh, anything to say about that? I mean, I think putting those guys in that situation, like, you know, principal players from many non-playoff teams, I think teams like to see their players playing in that competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, 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 always, my, always, my greatest fear is always that somebody will get hurt sure. in, in a nothing thing. And I think for the players, it's fun to play hockey and hang out with some guys and go to a, a, a cool country. It's, you know fairly competitive i don't know how, i don't know how the world championships rate and their you know their personal scale i think it's just kind of a fun cool holiday for them in terms of the competitiveness we saw oilers go to the world championships for years and years and years and it never translated into the next season you know this team being better and stronger and, and more you know challenging harder for a playoff spot so i, I think it's just a, a fun thing to do in the summer that, that everybody enjoys but I, i'm not i used to you know, think that the benefit of it of playing late into the summer and, and getting that help, but now I'm not. I'm not that sure. It's only three. Three. They're only picking players from three teams. It looks like the Islanders, St. Louis, and Edmonton. That's uh, twelve players from those three teams. So that's all out of eighteen. So uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, for Darnell Nurse is probably more benefit than for for McDavid and and Nugent Hopkins who've been before. 
I mean, it's the first time for him to play in the World Championships, yeah. and he'll get lots of ice, you know, lots of ice time and stuff like that, playing with, with, uh, you know, better players. So I probably won't hurt him any. Yeah, putting but on the Team Canada sweater is is good. Is always an honor, you know. Sure. Yeah, I know that was always going to bring up too. I mean, you know, we'll see how things go next year. But you know, seeing McDavid wearing the Maple Leaf with the last time we saw him was the World Juniors before he mm-hmm. uh, was drafted. And obviously the uh, NHL is not at the Olympics, so the opportunity for him to pull that on wasn't there. But, uh, yeah, I guess as... You know, and Everly, when he plays right wing with McDavid and Nugent Hopkins, I'm sure he'll be, fi- yeah. it'll be fine for him. He'll, he'll like that just fine. Yeah, you can always pull a deal for Ryan Strom. You know, shed some salary, and the Carlos Snow might want to do that in New York. Um, of course, the NHL playoffs have just started. Each team's played a game. Uh, any surprises for you so far? One game in, it's early. Hmm. I thought uh, Minnesota would get steamrolled. They, they they were much more competitive than I thought. Missing Suter, I thought that would be that would be their their death knell. I'm surprised Dowdy got suspended. I don't think that was a bad hit. I thought it was thought he was going for shoulder to shoulder, and and the other guy tried to cut inside. I'm just I'm not saying that Vegas is the NHL's darling team. I'm just saying Dowdy shouldn't have got suspended for that hit. You got him in a pool? Uh, no, I have some kings, but I don't. Have them <laughs> oh, <down>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think the Leafs went in like deer in the headlights last night against Boston with all these young players, and they went, "Oh man, this is a little tougher than we thought." And now we're a really good team, and people are going to take us not lightly. You know, in the playoffs, they're going to play us hard, and I, that's the wrong team to be playing. I think that's the Boston mm-hmm. Bruins. Their young players are good, not as good as Austin Matthews, but they got some really good young players too, and their veteran players are infinitely better than, yeah. than anything Toronto's got with Bergeron and Marshawn, and Bacchus, and you know Z on defense and stuff. I mean, they're infinitely better that way, and and you know they got beaten badly last night. And they, I don't know, Kadri is a bit of a loose cannon for me. He's a really good player, but his emotions tend to go over the over the yeah. top. And they can use him. You just got. I know what he was trying to do last night. He didn't think the hit on Marner was very good. It probably wasn't, but the refs didn't call it. But now he's taking himself probably out of the second game of a series when they're in tough enough as it is. I mean, that was kind of a selfish play. Yeah. I mean, sitting here, well, I'll bring it back to Edmonton. Of course, you know, watching the Winnipeg game and seeing the the fans there emulating what we would have seen last year, just the excitement in the building. That's true of all, most buildings, but, you know, in the Canadian market, and we haven't seen it, a game in Toronto yet. You know, the whole unsung hero of Joe Morrow in the lineup uh, because of injury and scoring that winner. Yeah, Joe Morrow, he's played for a lot of teams. Um, you know, that's the shot was going about three feet wide, and it hit one of the guys in front of the net, but still it was a goal, and the game-winning goal. And um, He's from Sherwood Park, doesn't hurt. Great. He's probably thinking to himself, okay, I got picked up at the training deadline, there's no way I'm playing. They get two defensemen out, suddenly he's playing. So um, he, couldn't even, he couldn't play regularly in Montreal, now he's playing the Stanley Cup playoffs against Minnesota on a much better team, Winnipeg, so good for him. Yeah, and I just closed my eyes, and you know, obviously... We see the whiteout in the crowd in Winnipeg. Close my eyes, and it's ni- it could be the '80s or the ni- 1990 all over again. Doesn't matter if it's the Winnipeg Arena or the new one downtown in Winnipeg. Another thing about the playoffs too, you know, Oilers related. Of course, we have the Ducks and the Sharks playing each other. Those are the two teams the Oilers faced last year. 
I have no idea how San Jose wins as many games as they yeah. do. Well, you look at their roster and you go, eh, it's an okay roster. It's not that great. I mean, they don't have a whole whack of forwards. I mean, obviously the trade for Evander Kane has worked out very nicely for them. They got two goals last night. But it's not like they're they're deep, deep, deep team. And But they play hard and they forecheck and they force teams to make mistakes. And, you know, you beat Anaheim and Anaheim 3 nothing. That's pretty decisive. Uh, teams with a good number one defenseman are always good. That's just so crucial. The quarterback of your team to, to retrieve the puck and break it out to get the power play going. Like just having a guy like Burns just makes you automatically better in a really key area than the team you're playing. Ah, yes, coming back to defense, are we? Yeah, I know. I I was going to make a a joke saying, "Well, you know, Pete DeBoer is a San Jose Sharks coach. What if he comes loose?" pick up that one instead of the other former sounds the coach did have a really good offensive right shot defenseman at one time and, and they outbid everybody to get him so <laughs> Justin yeah. Schultz and now he's in Pittsburgh so we wouldn't even be talking about this if Schultz had just played pretty well and the owners were a little bit better team then and they weren't forcing him to do some stuff that he couldn't do yeah and he got traded just let him grow into let him grow into being a spot for a while until he got his feet under him yeah wheel him out for the power plays and it had the right shot defense Ken Hitchcock announced his retirement today from coaching in the NHL. Uh, of course, uh, as many of our listeners know, he's a, an Edmonton native. He's from here. And, uh, of course, he never, ever coached here. I think that's his one regret. I think, he, you know, he figured it, to close the circle, he would get a chance to coach the Oilers. And every time he was out of work, the Oilers had a coach. And then... When the orders maybe might have been looking for a coach, he was working, so he didn't get a chance. And uh, 823 wins—that's an awful lot of wins for a guy who worked at United Cycle and, you know, coached minor hockey in Sherwood Park. And it's only <laughs> two other coaches in NHL history you know, won more games than him. So, I suppose there are plenty of coaches who are from Edmonton who've never coached, say, the Oilers or whatever. Because yeah, of course he coached in the you know minor. Well, not for very long. He coached, and and he didn't even coach that long in the minors Mm. for Dallas before he was up, you know, coaching the the Stars. Bob Gainey was a GM, so you know that's a he's coached a lot of different places, and I think his greatest strength is he tended to make the the teams better. Not always for the you know he wasn't there for ten years, but the teams always got better when he got there, and a lot of players who were offensive players only, perhaps learn how to play a little bit better defense and that would be Mike Medano and Brett Hull in Dallas and they didn't they fought it perhaps but they became better players so I think he's he's pretty good at what he does and as a media guy you we're never going to find a guy that good who would you'd ask him one question and you know he'd have three different spins on that one question about something so a lot of guys hated him when he was there, and they look back at their rings now and say, oh, all right, thanks, Hitch, because yeah. you know, he was he was huge in getting Dallas over that hump because they just didn't play the game the way you needed to play to, to win it. And I think he spawned there's – there's a lot of minor hockey coaches in, in Edmonton now who are, you know, in the wake of Hitchcock who are running, like, neutral zone traps with nine-year-olds thinking that, you know, <laughs> if he can get there from here, I can get there from here. So, you know, he's responsible for ruining a lot of practice days for some 10-year-olds because – you know, he it was an unlikely path, man. He was a guy that was like coached coach kids and worked at United Cycle and worked his way up. So, 
I think he's a career coach. Yeah. I think he would have coached anywhere. If he wasn't coaching that length of time in the NHL, he would have still coached college or he would have coached something because he lo- loves coaching. And that's, you know, that's an awful lot of years coaching. Obviously, it's unusual for someone to uh, become an NHL head coach or a, a professional hockey coach in general without having played at a high level. Which he fought for a long time, I'm sure. The bias you know, with players that the yeah. head coach has to have played in the NHL before they'll really listen to him. I think that's changed now because mm-hmm. there's a lot of coaches didn't. But for the longest time, you know, back when he started out, you know, he hadn't even played minor pro, never mind uh, uh, the NHL. So they didn't perhaps listen to him as well as they should have. But Bob Ganey was obviously smarter than everybody because he saw something in him and, and had him on his farm team and then got him to Dallas. Did you write about Hitch uh, back in, say, when he first got to Kamloops? Uh, not a whole lot because he was, you know, because he was, I was covering the NHL and he's in junior, but Robbie Brown's got some good stories, you know, about Hitch and, and Daryl Ray, you know, was there too when Hitch was there. So they were there in the, in the days when Hitch weighed considerably more mm-hmm. than he weighed now. And that was his, always his bugaboo lose, you know, he's half the man he used to be, but still twice as good a coach, you know. That was always the line. So, um, but yeah, he was he was an innovator in junior too. I mean, he was he had everybody said he was a defensive coach, but he had the when he was in Kamloops, they 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 would score six, seven, eight goals a game in junior. They scored a ton of goals. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.